0: Lord, we do thank you and praise you that indeed we worship a great and an awesome God. Lord, that word gets used a lot, but only you deserve it. No one else but you is great. No one else but you is even good. And so we just ask as we go to your word that you would speak to us. Reveal your greatness to us yet again. Draw us near unto yourself. May your Holy Spirit speak. We ask these things in your holy and precious name we pray. All God's people said... Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Great to see you on our last Wednesday night at the VHM. Amen and amen. All right, turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. As I said on Sunday morning, we're going to finish 1 John tonight, me and 2 John on Sunday morning. Finished Genesis last week, so those uh, tapes are in the back, free always, as always. Uh, CDs, I should say. I don't think we do tapes anymore. If you have a tape player, I don't know what happened to you, but yeah, get a CD player. It's okay. It's time. <laughs> All right. So what we've been looking at, First John, as we're going to sum it up tonight, we're going to start to see him review at the very end, the last few verses, really what this entire letter has been about. and What this letter has been about is encouraging Christians in a time when they're being outwardly persecuted But inwardly, those who were claiming to be Christians, most specifically a sect known as the Gnostics, who believed they had special knowledge, were coming in and teaching a false truth, a false Jesus. And they were teaching a false Christianity. And in times when you're going through difficulty, there's a temptation to fall into the you know, the newest thing to come down the pike, especially if somebody's charismatic in the way they deliver it, or if they say they've got some special new truth, and boy, there's nothing new under the sun, because here we are 2,000 years later, and the same thing still happens today. You know, most of the cults today, most of them are 100 years, 200 years old, a lot of them a lot less than that. It's some new word that came down the pike, some new thing, and usually by some new charismatic leader. And so this letter was written to the, to the early Christians who were outnumbered big time. They were a small minority in the world. We think we're a minority in the world today. There's a way more Christians today, way higher percentage of Christians than back in that time. And so they were a small minority, and he's encouraging them in the midst of all that to hang on to Jesus Christ, to remember that he's the answer, he's the hope, he's the truth. So we get to the final chapter, and the last couple of weeks on Sunday, and then tonight we're going to finish up, we talked about we can know for sure, and I know I repeat this, but I'm never going to be shy to repeat things because I know we need to hear them again and again, but we live in a time right now when people are very unsure about everything, And and if you are sure, then something's wrong with you. You know, it's this moral relativism and, you know, hey, whatever's right for you and we can't know for sure and it's driven by experience and there are no absolutes and what a bunch of noise. I mean, here's the reality. The reality is that there are absolutely absolutes, amen? And we can know for sure. And as we've been talking about the last few Sundays, we can know for sure, number one, the first thing we saw in verses 6 through 10, that Jesus is God. you didn't get that cd grab it why because if you don't haven't grasped that yet then start all over because that's where it starts amen and he's not a god he's the god number two we saw this on sunday we are going to heaven guys we ought to be excited about that amen we have eternal life we are going to heaven i mentioned to you i was doing a memorial service on sunday afternoon and uh only god knows for sure But I may have been the only believer in the building. And can I tell you, there's such a drastic difference in standing before a group of people who have no idea about who God really is, facing the fact of eternity, facing death. And it was a great opportunity to share the gospel. But at the same time, it's heartbreaking. Because what people talk about are the good deeds of a man or the things that men have done. But guys, we're not going to heaven because anything we've done, but everything that he did for us. And we need to make sure that we are hanging on to Him with both hands. Because it's all about Him. And you know what? We are going to heaven. We can know for sure. Someone asked you that question. It shouldn't be, I hope so. I hear that a lot. Going to heaven? I hope so. Guys, not a hope so, it's a no so. Amen? Yes. Then thirdly, we, can see, we saw that God answers prayer. And I loved, I don't know about you. How did you like getting into prayer groups at the end of service on a Sunday? Was that Good. What are you going to say? No, actually, I didn't like that. Praying, man, not so much. That's like a manipulative question, man. If I say no, I'm not spiritual or something. Well, yeah, I guess you're not. Amen. (laughs) But here's the point. Here's the point. You know what? We talked about that it's one thing to talk about prayer, and it's another thing to do it. And we talk about prayer a lot, and we should. And the Bible talks about prayer a lot. But guys, we need to be like our Savior, who even though He was fully perfect, holy God... In human flesh, you often see him getting away to pray. He's God and he's not too busy to pray. He came to save the world and he wasn't too busy to pray. Who in the world are we to be too busy to pray? Amen? We have not because we ask not. And we talked about we ask according to his will. And so that was the instruction. That was the exhortation. These are his final words. Hey guys, be people of prayer. Ask in his name and watch what God will do. Ask in his name according to his will. He wants us to ask. Remember, He wants us to ask anything. doesn't mean He's going to give us anything. It means we should bring everything before His throne. Amen? Whatever you're going through, start at the throne of grace. Start in His presence. Don't end up there as your last resort. So finally, tonight, we're going to look that we can know for sure, not only that Jesus is God, that we're going to heaven, that God answers prayer, but also this. And this is going to be, you know, it's a heavy text. True believers won't remain in sin. True believers won't remain in sin. It's a controversial thing. People struggle with this. We'll go through that. And then finally, we know the truth. He ends up the chapter with four we knows. And I love that. We know, we know, we know. We don't hope, we don't think, we don't wonder, we don't guess, we know. And that's the God we serve. So let's begin in verse 16. What can we know for sure? You can know for sure That true believers won't remain in sin. If someone has been born again, they won't remain in a sinful state of mind or sinful place or walking in habitual sin. And these are things that you read it and you struggle with it and some of you are going to go, oh no, maybe I'm not saved. Let's take a look at this tonight. Verse 16. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death... He will ask. Now he follows up verse 14 and 15 where he says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have petitions that we have asked of him. And then he says, so we know that God answers prayer. And now here's how we follow up by putting some of that prayer in action. Here should be some of the response that we take. The previous verses talk about the confidence we have in prayer, and now he's going to tell us, here's something you absolutely ought to be praying about. Here's what it says, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin. Guys, we are a family, amen? Amen? We're not a you know a country club or a you know we're not the Elks Club. Remember, I've said that many times, right? You know, if we stop praying and stop teaching the Bible, we might as well put horns on the wall and call it the Elks Club. Amen. But that's not what we are. We come here for a supernatural event for Almighty God to speak to us and through us to others. Amen. So when we come together and we sit here, automatically we have uh, an obligation, if you will, to each other. We have an obligation to pray for each other, to encourage each other, to use the gifts God has given us to minister one to another. And part of that is that not only to encourage us when we're struggling, but to love each other enough that when we see somebody who's walking away or struggling in their walk with God, to be those who will love them enough to intercede on their behalf. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, we not just trust that God hears our prayers, but that He answers them, and now we see, and the word there, see, means to perceive with eyes, to know by understanding. If anyone sees or knows and comes to understand that his brother or sister, and this is a fellow born-again believer, a professing Christian, somebody who you are knit together by the commonality of the Holy Spirit, someone who proclaims to be walking with God, and you come to know, you come to understand that that person is sinning a sin. The word sinning there means to, It's two different words, those two words for sin. The first one means to miss the mark, to wander from the path, to fall short, To get off track. So if you know and understand and begin to see a brother or a sister in Christ who is getting off track, who is falling away from God, who is choosing to follow the flesh instead of follow the Lord. The second thing says in sinning a sin, the second word for sin there means to fall into depravity, acting according to his old nature instead of like the new creation in Christ that he has become. So the words together in the Greek tense speak of one who has made a conscious choice to give give in to his or her fleshly desires. We've seen this happen in other people's lives, and if we would be honest, tonight we've all done it. Amen? Where we've made a point in time, it may not, you know, and again, we'll talk about this more in depth as we move on, but there's times where, Through discouragement or because of temptation or whatever it may be, that we knew that we were sinning. We the Holy Spirit convicted us, and we just made a conscious choice to say, you know what, God, I'm gonna do it anyway. I know it's wrong, I'm gonna do it anyway. Now, here's what should be happening in the body of Christ when you see somebody making that choice, you need to love them enough to before you do anything else, pray. Amen. Not run and tell 12 other people at church and call it a prayer request. Amen? It's not an opportunity to gossip. Did you hear about so-and-so at church? Guess what I just found out? No. Before you speak to them, pray. Amen? Before you speak to anybody else, pray. Before you bring it to even a pastor at the church, pray. Pray. That's where we ought to begin, amen? That's where our heart ought to begin. You know what happens, guys? Have you ever found when you pray for somebody, you love them more? When you pray for somebody, that the Holy Spirit will start to speak to you on how you can reach out to them and minister to them? I had a guy call me today, an old friend I've known for a long, long time, a very dear brother. I love him a great deal. And he went on to tell me today, how his wife of 11 years just packed up and left. And this guy's in ministry. And I just broke my heart. And we started to talk, and God just put it on my heart, having studied this text. You know what, bro, let's just stop and pray. Let's just stop and pray. And you know what? And God's been putting in my heart more and more. We spend too much time doing in the flesh and not enough time praying in the Spirit. Amen? You know, the, I, I, one of the pastors from Fremont, Tim Brown, sent out an email on the senior pastor's server. He said, the greatest form of activism is prayer. I thought, ooh, amen. I'm going to write that down. That's a good one. That'll, that'll, that, amen. Too often we think there's some way we've got to mobilize. How about this? How about we go before Almighty God and seek His face? What's better than that? Amen? And here's the point. You see a brother struggling, often we want to do something else from where we should start is going before the throne of grace on that brother or sister's behalf and intercede with Almighty God that he might reach down to that person, open their eyes to where they've gotten themselves, draw them back into himself that they might repent and be restored. Amen? That should be the heart of the body of Christ. I would pray if you saw me falling away that you would do that for me. And my commitment to you is the same. And it ought to be. Because that's how the body of Christ should function. Someone makes a conscious choice to give in to their fleshly desires and is in a present place of living in sin outside of God's will. You come to know and understand That person has wandered from the path of righteous obedience, has given in to their fleshly desires, is in a present state of rebellion against God. How do you reach out to them? What should you do? Here's what it says. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, we'll get to that in a second, he will ask. The word ask there is to beg, call, desire, require, cry out. If you see someone in that state, and again, I'm not talking about, you know, they have a momentary argument with their spouse or or they, you know, lose their temper for a moment. You know, we all do, and God restores us. I'm talking about someone who's in a place where they're in rebellion, they know it's wrong, and they're refusing to repent. That's what this is talking about. They've hardened their heart, at least for the moment. And in that place, what we need to do first and foremost is seek God's face. And pray and ask God. When a fellow believer wanders from the path of obedience and gives into the flesh and is in a state of rebellion, our response, again, should not be to tell another thing that can happen. Don't get puffed up. Amen? That sounds scandalous. Oh, I would never become self-righteous because someone else is sinning. Really? Let's not let that happen. Amen? That's not the body of Christ. That's not how it ought to operate. Instead, we intercede with God on behalf of our brother or sister. So, John envisions a spiritually mature person who is sensitive to the Holy Spirit, is in tune with the will of God, having spent a great deal of time in the Word of God, sees a brother caught up in sinful, fleshly behavior, doesn't tell anyone else about it, doesn't rejoice and feel more righteous, but instead intercedes, opposes a throne of grace on behalf of the backslidden brother, and cries out to him. Now notice something here. This next part of the text talks about two different kinds of sin. And I have to openly confess to you, I spent a lot of time going over this because it's one of those parts. In 1 John, I don't know how many times this has happened, where I look at 12 different people I respect and I get eight different opinions. And so I'm going to share with you a couple of different things that these things could mean. And I'll tell you what I believe it means. But it's nothing to be, uh, you know, so adamant about. But let's take a look here. Look what it says. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask. A sin that does not lead to death. What is that? Then it says, keep reading. And it says that he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. So sin not leading to death, he says it twice, and then there is sin leading to death. Well, if you look at it purely from a spiritual perspective, doesn't all sin lead to death? What's the answer? The wages of sin is what? Right? Why do we die today? Because Adam and Eve sinned back in the garden. Had there been no sin in the garden, there would have been no death. But because of sin, there is death. So wait a minute, doesn't all sin lead to death? What is he talking about here? Sin not leading to death. Here's what I believe. It's the sin that produces conviction. It's the sin when confronted, is repented of, and ceases to continue. It's the sin for which one is ashamed, broken, and mourns over it, and then forsakes it. It's the sin that is overcome not by our good works, but by the divine grace of God. Guys, there is sin that doesn't lead to our eternal separation from God. Amen? Why is that? Because of His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness and because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and will not let us continue on in that sin without bringing conviction that drives us to repentance. Amen? This is the sin that does not lead to death. Now that's from a spiritual perspective, but some would struggle with that. Here's why. Because he's talking to a brother, at least at the beginning of the text. So then why would he say a sin that leads to death? A sin that leads to eternal separation? Well, certainly there is sin that leads to separation. That is sin that is unrepented. That is sin that is not forgiven. That is sin that is not covered by the blood of the lamb. That is sin that leads to eternal separation from Almighty God. But wait a minute, he's talking to a brother. So what could this mean in talking to christians is there a sin leading to death when speaking of christians well if you look in the bible we have examples where people harden their heart so much toward god even as those who profess to be believers and we can assume our believers in the bible that god strikes them down dead now that's not something that's real popular to hear you mean I could blow it so much God might strike me down dead. I, well, ask Nadab and Abihu. You know who they are? Leviticus. These guys were priests. And they were priests. And they were to serve in the temple. And they were to go into the tabernacle and they were to bring the sacrifice. Well, remember, they brought in foreign things into the temple. Tab- and they went in and brought worship that was not, they were not to bring. They were, not, they were not the high priest. But they were priests. And they took the role of the high priest. It was like taking the place of Almighty God. And what did God do to Nadab and Abihu? He struck them down dead. Well, that was in the Old Testament. That God of the Old Testament is kind of rough. You ever heard of that before? I don't like that God of the Old Testament. He's kind of rough. Well, guess what? We get to the New Testament Ananias and Sapphira. What happened to them? Well remember they in Acts they went in and they you know everybody was selling. The church was new at the time and growing and everybody went, many people went and sold all they have and then gave what they had sold it for, gave a possession to the church that the church might use it. Now People were doing it, and when some people gave a great amount, there were those who were in the flesh who were ooing and aahing, and Ananias and Sapphira kind of saw that and wanted some notoriety, so they went away and pretended like they sold everything, but they really didn't sell everything. They sold some. And, you know, if they had sold some, and that had been their heart from the beginning, and they brought it before the Lord, they brought some before the Lord, and they, they brought it with that heart and in that way, God would have honored that. Instead, what they did is they came and said they had sold everything. If you remember what happens, they get confronted. He said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And he says, paraphrase, see those men at the door? They're going to be dragging you out in just a minute because you're going to be dead. In comes his wife. Oh, we gave it all. Did you really? Yeah, we gave it all. Guess what? You're next. And Sapphira died too. So we do see... That there is, now again, these are the two different interpretations. If it's for a Christian, is there a sin leading unto death? Can we get so far away from God that God would allow the consequence for our behavior to be the end of our life? Some would, I, I don't know, yes, no. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, what happened to them? Amen? Guys, here's what I'm saying. Guys, we need. To live our lives sold out and set apart for God, and understand that God is going to protect His name, and I do believe that especially if we're in a position being used mildly by God, there might be a time where He calls someone home rather than have His name be blasphemed anymore. Here's an idea: let's just fall in love with God and not worry about that. Amen. How about we instead of debating that? Well, I just don't think that's right. I don't think God would do that. I don't think God would. Hey, what, what does the Bible say? There's a sin leading unto death. What is he talking about? He's talking to a brother. Is this physical death or is this spiritual death? Well, if you think it's spiritual death and he's talking to a brother, then you think people can lose their salvation. I don't believe that. So what does it mean? This is what I wrestled with today, okay? I'm just sharing my heart with you. All right? He says in the text, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask... And He will give life for those, give Him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. So someone's living, a, a, you know, in a sin that's not going to destroy them, but it is sin, and we see that it's rebellion. And in the midst of it, we pray for them, and the response is, "Look what that says there." And I'm backtracking. He will give him life, guys. When you intercede on behalf of someone who's in rebellion, who knows God, God is going to use your prayer as a way to touch that person and bring him back to where he needs to be. How many of you have had the joy of doing that and seeing it happen? Raise your hand. You know what? God is encouraging us and ensuring us that when we see that, we pray and watch God work. God's will for us is to pray for the lost to be saved and to pray for those who are caught in rebellion to be restored. Guys, it's not... It's not who our prayers will be effective in reaching always as much as who we pray for. Guys, it's not, our, it's not up to us if the prayer gets answered the way we want it to be or not. Here's our calling, pray. Here's your calling, intercede. Here's your calling, love somebody else enough to take the time to intercede for them when they will not intercede for themselves because they're in rebellion. Amen? That's the body of Christ. But look what it says here. This is puzzling a little bit. Look at the end of the chapter. It says, He will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. What? You read that. Now, wait a minute. There's some people that are so far out there that God is going to take their lives and you know what? If you just read this and you don't really take the time to, stick, you know, to dig deep, it sounds like he says, don't even bother praying for him. It's too late. Is that what? It's, what does it say? I do not say that he should pray about that. Guys, here's the thing. I don't know how far away someone's gotten from the Lord and ultimately I don't need to know. Here's what I need to know. I can pray. He doesn't forbid them to pray but he's letting them know that promise that we heard earlier on where someone is in a sinful state but they're not in a place where they've hardened their hearts so much toward God like those who Ananias and Sapphira where they've hardened themselves to the Holy Spirit and the conviction of God and it's going to the end result could be their own physical death. He's saying look when you pray for somebody who is still sensitive to leading the Holy Spirit, you can be assured that the love of God is going to reach out and touch them. You pray for them. Now, you might pray for someone with a hard heart. They may or may not receive that. That's what basically is saying. That's what Pastor Dave paraphrased. But guess what? Let's pray anyway. And let God sort it out. Amen? How about we pray for everybody? How about we don't say, you know, that guy's beyond prayer. Yeah, beyond prayer, i take him off the list. No. You don't see that in scripture, do you? God is a loving, a gracious, a merciful and a faithful God. I pray that we would love each other enough that we wouldn't wait till we got to be Nadab and Abihu to reach out. Amen. That we wouldn't wait till we became Ananias and Sapphira so hard. And you know, we've had things go on even here in our our fellowship where It can seem a little harsh where without publicly doing it in a sense we kind of remove fellowship with some people now let me tell you why you do that you don't do that to destroy them but to restore them amen because someone should not be walking in habitual you know living that ungodly lifestyle being in a place of rebellion and still be able to enjoy the fellowship with god's people because what that does is it gives the you know the air that hey I can live in my sin and still have fellowship with the lord and his people but you know what you can't because you've separated yourself from god and we need to love each other enough it says to deliver people over to satan why for the destruction of the flesh not to kill them but to restore them that's what godly discipline is all about in scripture so here we are you you see someone sinning a sin what should you do what's the answer pray Not tell somebody else, pray. You know, you go to Matthew 18, if you see someone they've sinned against you, at some point, you go and confront them. If if they're just in sin and you've prayed for them and you have a burden to go talk to them, let me encourage you to do that. But do it in love. Amen? Love people enough to go to them and encourage them and minister to them. Now, from a spiritual perspective, just to finish that off, some people could say that sin leading to death is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? How many of you have ever heard of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? The Bible talks about one unpardonable sin. What is it? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I've had, as a pastor for twenty-something years now, people come up to me and say, "I think I might have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I think it's over for me. I can't be saved." Let me tell you something. If you care about whether or not you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you haven't. Amen. Because the people that have and have hardened their heart toward him don't, are not convicted about anything. Amen? So if you're here tonight and you've struggled and you've sinned, get right with God. But know this, it's not too late for you to be saved if you're still convicted that you're a sinner. Amen? That searing over is where people just reject the Holy Spirit their entire life. They sear themselves over to it and they blaspheme the free gift of salvation that's been offered to them by rejecting it for an entire lifetime. So what I tell people often, they say, oh, "I think," I, and I'm overwhelmed. But then you haven't done it because you're overwhelmed. Amen. You're convicted. Somebody who's blaspheming the Holy Spirit is not convicted about their sin. So prayer for those who have so hardened their hearts that they've given themselves over to sin that leads to death it doesn't forbid that we pray, but it doesn't come with the same promise that if we ask, He will give life. Not sure where the person is in rebellion. Pray. Verse seventeen. All unrighteousness is sin. That's pretty clear, isn't it? If You underline stuff in your Bible? Good thing to underline. Back in, in, verse, in chapter 3, he said, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So in chapter 3, he says breaking the law is sin. Now he broadens the definition of sin. It's not just breaking the law, it's anything that's unrighteous. Have you ever had someone say to you, Well, it's not sin, it's not against the law. You ever heard that before? Some of our, uh, if you're one of them, God bless you, I love you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Some of our local, I love to smoke dope people, say, well, they legalized it, so. If I can smoke it, it's not against the law. Depends on whose law you're looking at. Amen? Well, it comes up out of the ground, God wouldn't grow it if we couldn't smoke it. You've heard me say this before. Try smoking uranium or mercury. See how it works out for you. Comes up right out of the ground. It's all natural. Right? So dumb. Here's the point. Be not drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? I don't need drugs. I got Jesus. Amen? I don't get it. Here's the point though. People will use the law as the boundary. But the law of man says, who cares what the law of man says? The law of man says you can kill your baby. Is that okay? What's the answer? Absolutely not. It's not the laws of men. It's the laws of God and it's living a righteous life. All unrighteousness. Anything that is wrong is sin. Anything that is wrong doing, unright in the eyes of God. This is one of the greatest definitions of sin in the Bible. All unrighteousness is sin. It's not just breaking the law. It's doing anything that is outside of God's will. Now remember in context, the Gnostics were teaching your flesh is evil. Anything you do in the flesh is not sin. Isn't that what they were teaching? They were saying to the early Christians, look, only your spirit is holy and only your spirit's going to heaven, so what you do in your fleshly body doesn't matter because they're two separate things, so you can do whatever you want and you'll still go to heaven. The ultimate get-out-of-hell-free card theology. Right? Got the get-out-of-hell-free card. Spiritually, you're fine. Just give your flesh what it wants. That's so contrary to what the Word of God teaches, and right here he's addressing it, saying all unrighteousness is sin. Anything that is Wrong. Anything that is ungodly is sin. It's wrong. God will not bless it. All injustice, all immorality, all wrong, all lawless behavior is sin. Standard again he goes beyond the laws of man to the word and will of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know what I have found? First of all, there's a balance. Usually the Bible, the Bible will tell you that the most legalistic brother is the weak one, right? Doesn't the Bible tell us that? The one who thinks that he's keeping the most laws to please God is the weaker brother. But that being said, I have found that the more that I walk with God and fall in love with God, the less I desire to do certain things in my life that may not even be in the Bible. And to me, it would be sin if I did it after the Holy Spirit convicted me not to do it, Amen? Now, here's when that becomes legalism. When I have a personal conviction that God has given me, and now I make it sin for you. Right? I have a conviction that you should not watch sports on television. Sin. Who said amen? Stop it. But listen. Speaking of legalism, no, I'm just kidding. You know I love you. Here's the point. Here's the point. It might be that someone watches way too much sports on TV and they don't spend time with their family and it's taking their time away from the word of God and they're so busy watching the Laker game tonight that they're not at church. <laughs> Just hand out the tape when you get home. No, here's the point though. But here's the point. It can get to a point that something that isn't inherently evil can be something that God convicts you. You know, you shouldn't do that because for you it stumbles you and it takes you away from the Lord and it keeps you from serving God and it keeps you from using your gifts and you should stop and if God convicts you of that there's a couple things in my life one I don't drink alcohol at all have not in 25 years and don't miss it one bit okay now if you have a glass of wine with dinner that's between you and the Lord okay but I have a personal conviction no alcohol so for me If tonight, if I on the way home stopped and drank half a beer, for me it would be sin. Why? Because God's convicted me not to do it. I don't watch R-rated movies. I don't. There's just certain things, right? And again, not being legalistic, and I'm not telling. That's between you and the Lord what you choose to do. Okay, but this is what he's talking about. Righteousness is wrongdoing. It's anything that the Word of God teaches, that the Holy or that the Holy Spirit convicts us of. The Holy Spirit convicts me not to do it, and I do it at sin. Amen? So it's beyond just what's in the law. It's what does the Holy Spirit say. What does the Word of God tell us? All unrighteousness is sin. And then it says, here we go again, and there is sin not leading to death. Now, it's actually good that that's there, because all unrighteousness is sin. And we just read earlier that there's sin leading to death. So, everybody here is going, how much, more, how much time I got left? Amen? All unrighteousness is sin. Who's been unrighteous today? Uh oh. We're going to have a mass burial after the Wednesday night service. <laughs> right? You read that and you think, waha. Well, huh. All unrighteousness is sin. Here's the good news not all sin leads to death. You know why? Because when we sin, we're convicted. While sin is an affront and an offense to God, it is. Deserving a righteous judgment and the wrath of God, not every sin leads to an immediate physical death, or again, we'd all be dead right now. God in His grace gives us the opportunity to have our sin dealt with, to have Him pay the price for it in our place. Guys, we're all sinners. That's why He sent a Savior. Amen? Amen? There is sin and rebellion and a hard heart and walking away from God and choosing to go our own way that can result in disaster. But guys, if you're walking with the Lord when you sin, you're going to be convicted and it's going to drive you to a place of confession, brokenness, and repentance. Amen? Amen. And you know what? God will by no means turn you away when you come to Him with a confessing heart. That's the God we serve. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen? God, in His grace, gives us the opportunity to have our sin dealt with as we respond to our sin under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. Here come the we knows. Here's where I got the we know, we can know. This is where I got it from. The end of this chapter. For we knows. Here's what he says. We know that whoever is born of God does not... Si- what? What? You just made me feel better about the thing. Now, what does this say? Whoever, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Do I, can I take my hand raised back now? Can I, can I ask that question again? Right. Here's what it says. Whoever is born of God, whoever's been born again, whoever's been born from above does not sin. Oh, man. I didn't want to come tonight. The Laker game was, this is really, this is tearing me up. This is a hard chapter to understand unless you take the time to really investigate. Born of God, born again, does not sin. Wait a minute, all have sinned. I sin every day. I must not be born again. Here's the key. The word does not sin, the way that it's written in the original language speaks of a present tense continuous action. Here's what it means. Does not keep on sinning. Whoever's been born of God does not keep on sinning. Does not continue to walk in rebellion. Does not disregard the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now again, doesn't mean we don't sin. But when we do, conviction comes and repentance follows. If there's no conviction and no repentance, there's been no salvation. Amen? Holy Spirit's not going to sit idly by while you walk in rebellion. Now again, some of you may say, well, I walked away from God for several weeks or several months, maybe for some of you several years, the fact that you're back proves that you were his. Amen? The fact that you're born of God. You don't keep on sinning. Back in 1 John 3, he said, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has not seen him or known him. Again, it's the same thing. Whoever is walking in continual, habitual sin without conviction does not know him and has not known him, and is not abiding in him, and has not been born of God, has not been born again. It's important that you understand this verse, because if you don't, you're going to walk around condemned all the time. Guys, here the Son sets free is free indeed. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? You need to read that verse and understand what it's saying. Now, it should grab a hold of our hearts, Because we should not be living lives of rebellion. Now, remember, who's he talking to? Who's in the group? Who's been teaching false doctrine? The Gnostics. What did they say? Live like you want. Walk in habitual sin. Live an ungodly life. He said, no, if you're born of God, you won't do that. So what is he saying about the Gnostics? They're not born of God. Why? Because they're living in habitual sin, and they don't care. There's no conviction. If anything, they're teaching others to do the same. In the battle against sin, it's essential that we keep our eyes on Jesus. If we've been born again, we've been given a new nature. We're new creations in Christ. And when we then have resources to be free from habitual sin, God has given you the ability as a born-again Christian that you don't have to sin. But will you? Okay, but do you have to? Okay, no. Will any of us achieve sinless perfection in this life? No, if you said yes, now you're prideful and you just blew it. Right? Amen? There's no way. That's not going to happen. But we ought to live every day desiring to walk in the center of His will at every moment. Amen? And we should never say, well, I'm going to sin anyway. It's no big deal. No, sin's a big deal. You've heard me say it many times. We're not sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? Amen? So while we struggle with the daily temptation to sin, it no longer reigns in our bodies. The Holy Spirit within us empowers us to walk in holiness, to flee temptation, to say no to sin, and we're grieved by it. Whoever has been born again does not live a lifestyle of habitual sin like the Gnostics did. Now look what it says. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him you've been born of God, you keep yourself. The word keep means to attend, to carefully take care of, to guard what you presently own. Now, this could refer to us keeping ourselves from sin. That could be. But here's what I think it means. Look at it again. But he who has been born of God keeps himself. Who is the first begotten? He's always been, but the first begotten. Who is it? Jesus Christ. And he keeps, and some translation, doesn't say himself, it says keeps him. Who's the one who keeps us? It's Jesus Christ. And I believe that's the best translation of this verse. It says in 1 John 5, 18, the, this, this verse in NASB, We know that no one who was born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. The NIV, the nearly inspired version, says this, We know that anyone born of God does not continue in sin. The one who's been born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. So it could refer to us keeping ourselves, but I, you know what? That's not such a great encouragement because we don't do it. Amen. And we blow it. Isn't it better to know that he keeps you? Isn't it better to know that he's the one that keeps you where you need to be? He's the one that holds you in place. And then it says this, and the wicked one does not touch him. Now, the Lord is protecting you, so Satan can't touch you. Amen? It says in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. Guys, we're in God's hand. Do you understand that? When you know that you're in his hand, who in the world can mess with you? Nobody. Now, it says here, the wicked one does not touch him. Who's the wicked one? Satan. Now, it does not touch. The word touch there, here's what that word means. Because touch is actually kind of weak. Our English word touch. It really means to grasp, adhere, cling, or lay hold of. Satan can't lay hold of you. He can't grasp you. It's the same word where Jesus said to Mary when she was, stop clinging to me. It's the same word. Satan can't cling to you. He can't grab a hold of you. Can he tempt you? Yes. Can he harass you if God allows it? Ask Job. Amen? But only if God allows it. Amen? You're in God's hand. Anybody gets near to you, they have to get God's permission first. Amen? So he can't touch you, but he can tempt you. He can't attach himself to you or lay hold of you, anyone who's been born again. And so, again, as I've said many times, Slip Wilson is wrong. The devil can't make you do anything. Amen? Now, here's another point. Side note. Christians cannot be demon-possessed. Amen? It goes through the church in waves. A few years back, we had a whole bunch of people in our church got mad and left because they believed you could be demon-possessed, and I would dare say you absolutely cannot be. When I had manifestations, I don't care what feelings you had or manifestations you had. Here's what the Bible says. Amen? But I had, The Holy Spirit is not going to share where he lives with the devil. Amen? He's not having the devil for a roommate. He told us not to be an equally yoked. He's certainly not going to do it himself. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10 21 says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be a partaker of the Lord's table and the table of devils. The enemy cannot cling to you because God says he won't let him. Amen. Be encouraged. Verse 19, here's another we know. So we know that whatever is born of God does not sin. Number two, we know that we are of God. We know that we're of God. We're God's kids. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Those who are born again, we've been separated from the world. We're in the world, but not of it. We're no longer under the sway of the wicked one. We are not under the control of the enemy. I said at the beginning of the message, Christians were a small minority in those days. And John was... This letter was given to Christians. While the world, the vast majority, was under the influence of the devil, they were lost, they were headed for destruction, as Christians, we should not be envious of the world, but burdened for it. Amen? Sometimes people will say, you know, I just remember what it was like when I wasn't saved. It was so fun. I don't get it. The enemy, you know, have you ever noticed how the enemy will give you fond memories but leave out all the garbage that came with it. Partying was so fun. How about puking? Oh, no, no, I didn't like that. Hangovers, yeah, not so much. Losing jobs, yeah, no, no. Bless my family, oh, yeah, forgot about that. Forgot about all the consequences, right? The selective memory. Guys, as Christians, guess what? There's nothing better than walking with Almighty God. There's nothing better than being a child of the King. There's nothing better than being filled with the Holy Spirit and have the promise of eternal life. And guess what? Having a down payment on it right now. Guys, nothing better. Nothing the world has to offer that can touch what we have in Christ. We are of God. We are not of Satan or of the world. We can walk in victory over the flesh, over the world, and over the the devil. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? So, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. But praise God that true believers won't remain in sin. Praise God that we can know for sure that true believers, as born-again Christians, we will not remain there because the Holy Spirit won't allow it. Amen? And that should be encouragement for us, but also encouragement for those that you know, who you knew, have seen the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their life, and maybe they're in rebellion right now, according to this text, pray. Amen. Pray that God would draw them back into himself. Lastly, true believers can know for sure that we know the truth. Look what it says in verse 20. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. We know the Son of God. Guys, we know the Son of God. We don't know about Him. We don't know of Him. We know Him. And the word know there, Gnosko, means to know by experience. We have an experiential relationship with the Son of the living God. People are looking for someone to be an adversary. Someone to, you know, as a youth crew, people used to say, you know, my homie's got my back, man. You know, if I ever get anything, my homie's got my back. How about this? Creator of the universe got my back. Amen. Alpha and the omega got my back. On my side, I don't know about him. I know him. I have intimate fellowship with him. As believers, we're married to him. Amen. Amen. We're the bride of Christ. The one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ, we know Him while others only know about Him. Guys, stock market, who cares? We know Jesus. Amen? Amen? Economy, who cares? We know Jesus. You know what's happening with our politics? We should pray and we should vote, but who cares? We know Jesus. Whatever struggle or trial or difficulty, health matter, whatever we're going through, we know the Son of the living God. Guys, be encouraged tonight, amen? Remember, he's writing this to the guys who are hearing from the Gnostics. Hey, there's a better way. Hey, there's something else over here. There's a deeper truth that you don't know about. Hey, guys, remember, you know the Son of God. What's better than that? What else could they offer you that's better? What do the Gnostics have that you don't already have? Nothing, amen? Gotta have peace because we know the Prince of Peace. Guys, we don't only know him, but he's given us An understanding. He came that we might understand. Guys, this understanding was given to us. We didn't earn it. He revealed Himself to us. What does He want us to understand? That we may know Him who is true. That we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. He came that we might understand the truth. People are looking for truth. You want the truth? Look at Jesus Christ. You want to understand what life's all about? Look at Jesus Christ. You want to understand and know what God the Father is like? Look at Jesus Christ. Amen? We know the truth. We know Him who is the truth. And the truth revealed not in the special knowledge of the Gnostics, but in the person of Jesus Christ. Truth is not found in a fallible man, but in an eternal holy God. Jesus came that we might understand. Then He says that we might know. That we might know. Guys? We know. Amen? We don't hope, we don't think, we don't wish, we don't want, we know. I know I keep repeating that because people will walk out of here and and, and later on this week be struggling with a hope so. Man, I just hope that God really... You don't have to hope, you know. Amen? You know what else we know? We We have an example to follow. Guys, you want to pattern your life after somebody? There's only one person worthy of being your hero. And His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. There's only one who we ought to follow after. And His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus came that we might understand, that we might know the truth. We might have an example to follow. And to reveal holy God to sinful man and to restore sinful man back to holy God. You want to see the personality and the character of God? Look at His Son. We know Him who is true. We know The one who is true. The Gnostics were preaching a lie saying they had a deeper truth. Guys, we don't need a deeper truth. We walk with the truth. We know the truth. We are in the truth. Amen? We don't know about Him, but look what it says. We are in Him who is true. We're in Him. Have you ever thought about the fact that you are in Christ right now? Not going to be in Him in heaven. You're in Christ right now. Guys, positionally, that's who we are. We are children of the king. This is another reason why we cannot walk in habitual sin. We're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're in Christ and he's not gonna sit idly by while we're in the midst of that. Then it says this, who is true, who is true. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Guys, we've been looking for the way, we found the way. Amen? And there is no other way. Looking for the truth, we know the truth. Need not look anywhere else for answers. Must not listen or be swayed by the lies of the false prophets like the Gnostics. And guys, we have the only life worth living. The one that will outlast our time on earth. Remember that song you used to sing when I was a kid? I've got a home in glory land that will outshine the sun. Amen? Guys, our home is not here. This life is Temporary. And we have a life, the only life that is worth living because it's, gonna, it's a life that's going to outlast this one. These are great words of encouragement as he closes out this letter. We know. We know him. We know the truth. We're in him. We're walking in the truth. It says, in his, we, have, we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ Christ. Jesus is the only true God. He is the eternal one. He is the the only source of eternal life. And then he closes with these words that may seem odd to you, but then we'll talk about them just for a moment as we close. Then he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Little children, this is a term of great endearment. He's written this letter filled with exhortation. He's written this letter filled with encouragement, but boy, he's he's gotten after him a little bit. But in the end, how does he end it? He encourages them with who they are in Christ. And then he says, little children. This is a title that speaks not only of deep affection, but indicates a family relationship. It speaks of their humility, that they're teachable. It implies faith and weakness on their part. And what final word does he have to his little children, having spoken to these precious saints? who are outwardly persecuted and inwardly tempted by false teachers. Here's what he says. Keep yourselves from idols. His final warning after this entire letter is, stay away from the idols. Why? Because he knew that not only for them, but for us today, idols are a temptation. Idolatry is not just praying to a statue. Idolatry is when we put anything in front of the Lord. Amen? Anything. When God comes second to anything, that's idolatry. It can be your career. It can be your possessions. It can be watching sports on television. It can be anything that we make a greater priority than walking with Him. You know what else, in closing, can be an idol? Ministry. We can be so involved in doing the work of the ministry that we forget the one who are ministering to, first, and for. Amen? We can get so involved in doing stuff for God that we lose out on our intimacy with God. Anything that we put in front of the Lord... Becomes an idol. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. So what can we know for sure? Number one, that Jesus is God. Amen. Number two, we're going to heaven. We have eternal life. Number three, God answers prayer. Number four, true believers will not remain in sin. And number five, we know the truth. Amen. Guys, there's nowhere else that we need to go. Who else are we going to turn to? Who else has the words of eternal life? Guys, who else has the meaning of life? Because we have it, let's not hide it under a bushel. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's be those who are bold in our faith because of who we are in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Lord, I know part of it tonight was maybe hard to understand. I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding. I pray, Lord, that we would leave here encouraged and strengthened in the most holy faith. I pray, Lord, if anybody's here tonight and they're in a place of of conscious rebellion against you, hard to imagine being in church on a Wednesday night, but Lord, if there's anybody here that's got that heart, I just pray that even tonight that we would take the action that your word tells us, that we would pray for them. We would intercede on their behalf, that you would draw them back unto yourself. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for conviction. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the promises that we have. We thank you that we know the truth. Thank you that we're going to heaven. Thank you for the promises we have in your word. Lord, I thank you that we are a family. And I pray, Lord, that we would love each other enough to say the hard things if we need to. Love each other enough to intercede on behalf of one another. Lord, we would love each other enough that if we see someone walking away from you, that we would reach out to them in love. Lord, may we function like the body of Christ should. And the only way we can do that is that we make sure that you're the head of it. Lord, that we submit completely to you. So Lord, we once again, we lay our lives at your feet. We submit our lives completely to you. We cry out to you and ask you to forgive us for our sins. We ask you, Lord, to restore us unto yourself. We ask you, Lord, to fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would make us the men and women of God that you've called us to be. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.